Hello, I'm Becky Hadid, host of The Storied Recipe. As my weekly guests share their stories through the vessel of cherished food memories, we all become better cooks, more grateful for the gift of food, and we honor those that have loved us through their cooking. One of the questions people ask me most frequently is, where do you get your guests? The answer is from a lot of places. I seek some out and many are nominated by themselves or friends or publicists. But this is the first time I've had a guest nominated by her own son. Here is what Scott said about his mother, Marlene. She makes a family traditional recipe for povetica that's tremendous. She's also one of the last of her family and holding on to the family ranch with all of the pressures, but none of the lethality, portrayed in Kevin Costner's series, Yellowstone. As an example, a week after my father passed away, she was bucking a hundred pound hay bales over her head to feed the cows and did it despite the fact that her shoulders were so sore she could hardly move. She's retired, but she still shows up for volunteer work and is gradually restoring a 57 Chevy in her spare time. She's an inspiration in her faith community, and she's the party planner and rabble rouser for her friend group who meet every week to lift each other's spirits and nurture community. I'm sure you will agree that there was something so sweet and wholesome about Scott's pride in his mother that I knew I wanted to talk to Marlene as soon as a spot opened up in the podcast schedule. And I am so glad I did get to speak with her. As you will hear from this conversation, Scott is right to be proud of his mother, and she's right to be proud of him. Marlene worked hard her entire life, and she has so much to show for it. Children who are productive adults in society, a host of animals that have been well cared for, land that was tended and enlarged, renters who were dealt with fairly and generously, friends who feel loved and supported, the list of things she has accomplished goes on and on. So I am really thrilled to share today this conversation with Marlene as well as her very traditional povetica recipe, which requires bread dough rolled so thinly it becomes transparent and so large that it hangs over a dining room table with an additional leaf inside. (laughs) So uh, wish me luck on that one. Thank you all so much for joining me today for this conversation. Becky, we're finally together. (laughs) Yay! (laughs) Thank you for asking me to visit with you about our COVID pizza. Oh, I'm I'm just so honored to have you with me. So thank you and thank you for pushing through the technical difficulties and (laughs) scheduling a second a second time and everything. I'm so grateful. It's fun and we're proud. You're proud of your povitica. Yes. Okay, let's start with that. Tell me about that. It's um, always been a heritage mm-hmm. recipe. It's been handed down through the family. Mm-hmm. My grandmother, Kate Rebisch, mm-hmm. was born in Austria. She found her way to Butte and was married to a Joseph Rebisch. Mm-hmm. Their family grew to eight children. Kate was widowed at an early age, and she raised the children with them all pitching in. And then my father, Frank, met his bride, Kay, in Butte. She was a German girl and married into this large Austrian family at age 15. Mm. There were... At uh, 15? uh, Yeah. God love her. Wow. (laughs) There were... Definite uh, language barriers. She mm-hmm. told me at one point they would speak Austrian when they didn't want you to understand. So Kay mm-hmm. and uh, sister-in-law Myrtle parten- partnered up to cook. They would make at least two together. Wow. And over the years, each cook would make additions to the recipe, which made it more tasty. Uh, <laughs> my mother, my mother Kate, was one to travel to her family's homes to bake. This girl started helping at an early age, probably 
when I was old enough to bake. And then my husband, Dave, was drafted to help simply because of the size of the product, finishing <laughs> roaster size to bake it. It's become a staple of our celebration. Mm, mm. Well, so let's let's jump into this then. Um, some of the questions I have about making it, and then we'll return to your memories. Um, because, like you said, it's enormous. Um, when you say roaster sized, um, this is like bigger than a nine by thirteen. You're talking about you can put a sixteen or eighteen pound turkey into this roaster. Yes. Okay. So, my question. <laughs> My first question is, because that is very intimidating to me. It's clear. I, there's eight cups of flour in the recipe, so it's clear that it makes a lot of bread. Why Why not split it into three or four pans? Um, over the years, mm. um, I think it was the cooking mm. ranges. They could... Uh, Get a thicker, better baking pan if they use the roaster. Mm -hmm. My son, Scott, actually was the one who taught me mm -hmm. to, as it's rolled up in one big long length, mm -hmm. to divide it with a sauce dish and then fit it into loaf pans, which oh, okay. would change the baking time. Okay, so that's an option if I want to do that. Yes. But the authentic way is to roll it into, how long would you say, six feet long? It's a um, dining room table with one leaf. Oh, I like eight, eight feet my, maybe. Yeah, my wow. son's last investment on his dining room table, he said it's big enough. To make profitites. <laughs> oh, and I'm saying, oh, I'm I'm actually going to go close my door. My husband's friend just came over, and they're, they're, it's so cute. They're they're actually friends from way back in high school, and they just laugh and laugh and laugh all night. So I'm going to close my door because I know my microphone's picking up on it. Give me one second. Okay. All right. Sorry about that. <laughs> like I said, <laughs> they just. They just make each other laugh and it goes on and on all evening. It's wonderful. It makes us all smile, but nobody wants to hear it <laughs> on this recording this time. So um, so let me, I'm saying it wrong. I'm saying Povitica, but it's po pova Povitica? I, I pronounce it Povitica. Povitica. Um, okay. It's like a soft C. And we usually just call it walnut bread. <laughs> yes. So if I roll it to the whole eight feet, which I kind of, I mean, I feel like I have to do this, right? This is, this is like the authentic way. <laughs> I have to do it at least once. And then can I shape it um, into a spiral or do I kind of snake it into that roaster? You know what I mean? If, if you double the uh -huh. ends back to the center, uh -huh. It will almost fit the uh, roaster pan. Okay. You might you might have to adjust and make a fourth row. Okay. Okay. And then how um um how do you cut it? We usually um when it's taken from the oven, mm. we um let it cool. Okay. So often my mother would uh, put a cloth across the top so it wouldn't sweat. Oh. And then when it's had a few minutes, just like a cookie you leave on mm -hmm. the sheet, yeah. then you can turn it over and uh -huh. let it finish cooling. We would wrap it in a oh. tablecloth overnight. And then those uh, sections that you have spiraled mm -hmm. will make just about the right size uh, bread slice. Okay. And so you just dump in and start slicing. Wow. Okay. And you just, so you just um, pull pull it apart, pull the spirals apart, and then you slice those like individual loaves. Yes. I yes. see. I see. I see. Okay. And if you make it in um, loaf pans or also, I kind of, I kind of want to try this at some point in a, um, 
bunt pan because I think it's so pretty spiraled like that as well. Um, how long, how much, how would you adjust the timing? Just um, like a jelly roll, like a mm-hmm. banana bread, like mm-hmm. a zucchini, probably a zucchini bread because it's heavy and yeah. moist. It's very, very, very moist and rich. Yeah, I was, like I said, I I made the dough last night and um, it rose beautifully. We were going to visit my husband's aunt. So I made it, I I left it um, on the counter. By the time we came back home, it was beautiful. I mean, just nicely domed over the bowl and everything. So I just punched it down, put a little more oil on it and put it in the fridge. It had risen again, um, by this morning. Uh, and then I was going to use it and I started putting the filling together and it's like, you know, two pounds of walnuts, a cup of honey. And I thought this is really expensive. I need to really know what I'm doing, (laughs) really not make any mistakes, um, (laughs) before I do this. So I stopped, I stopped right there. But, um, in, in, in this case, like for me, well, it's just, it's a long process in general. So it's at least two to three hours for the first rise, two to three hours for the second rise, because everything has eggs and butter and all of this in it. So that really impedes the rise of the yeast and then bakes for an hour and a half. So if you don't feel like you can fit that all in one day, um, how do you usually handle it with the dough? Do you do what I did and just refrigerate and then punch it down? Do you freeze? What um <laughs> when can you when can you split up the tasks? Per, when like, you can leave. <laughs> we have uh we were early to rise mm. to get the bread dough started. Okay. And, and let it rise. Mm-hmm. And when you're working an eight to five job, mm. it was rush home on that lunch hour roll that out and get it ready to rise for the second time in the Mm. pan. And then by the time you're off at five o'clock, it's ready to bake. So we, we never left it. Mm. If we were graced with time, like on a Saturday or something, we would usually invite friends to spend the day and then mm-hmm. kind of make movie lunch type mm-hmm. out of it. Mm. That's lovely. Okay. So if you came home on your lunch break, it's quite a time consuming process to roll that to the size of a dining room table, uh, roll the <laughs> dough out, pull it, roll, um, cover it with the paste, roll it up, shape it, put it in the pan, but you could do that on a lunch break. I recall one time my mother was in my house. It was uh-huh. lunch hour uh-huh. and I was coming to help. My husband called and she said, where are you? Get home. It's time to roll it out. <laughs> <laughs> Do not dilly dally. <laughs> Okay. 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 I'm getting the idea here. Well, like I said, I'm fully committed to the, the role, the big role, <laughs> even if I never I do it that should. way again. Yeah. I think it's something I think you have you to do. Once. That's, that's, um, that's what I'm thinking. I think it's something that even if, even if you never, even if you just do it in loaf pans from there on out, uh, that's you know, true. then you got to do it at least once. And clearly I have to do it to be faithful to your experience. That's very clear. <laughs> that's very clear. Um, okay. So what other questions that I have about the, um, oh, just, a, I guess it's more of a baking science question. What does the potato water do? So um, for people listening, um, like I said, it's a very, it's eight cups of flour and then, you know, uh, a stick of butter. Actually, that is a question. The recipe says a cube. Is a cube well, a stick or a pound? It's the um, four cubes in uh, the four uh, cubes in a pound of, be- of butter. So if we called it, it was a cube. It was always the four divisions of a pound of butter. Okay, so it's eight tablespoons or a half cup, a half cup of butter. Half cup. Yeah, okay. Okay, got it. Um, so uh, again, just to go back to um, 
to um, the uh, the question I'm going to ask about the potato water. So people listening um, understand about this dough. It's eight cups of flour and then a lot of rich ingredients. Um, three eggs, uh, a half cup of um, uh, butter, three cups of milk, and then um, uh, no, one cup of milk and then a cup of um, potato water. So you boil potatoes. Boiled, yeah, boil mm-hmm. the potatoes to start with mm-hmm. to get the starch. Mm-hmm. And the idea is the starch helps the yeast. Oh. So it makes it a little faster when uh, it is interesting because um, this is almost like a brioche dough. And my understanding was that that took overnight to prove. And so, yeah, it must be that starch that allows it to prove just, I, I mean, frankly, I thought two to three hours was fast for such a rich dough. It is. Yes. I uh, had an experience not too long ago, a uh, failure, which mm. I thought, oh my God, I've got to hang up the recipe, <laughs> put away the apron. I went to town and bought new flour, new measuring cups, brand new yeast, uh, went strictly butter, just, you know, right down to a science, mm-hmm. bought, brought in new thermometers, cuts. If I was going to quit, I was going to give it my last hurrah. Oh, I love that. (laughs) That tells us a lot about you. (laughs) The failure passed, so I haven't hung up my apron or my recipe. Good. Good. Yeah, I think, like I said, I was surprised when I came home last night because it had only been about three, maybe three and a half, four hours, and I was surprised it had risen so much. It really had doubled, maybe a little more than doubled in that time. So that's something I just learned about the potato starch for sure. Um Okay. So my last question about making the dough, and then we'll move it on to the filling is, um, so you would just mix it all together. Oh, well, let me back up a little bit. Um, you use active dry yeast. Yes. Okay. When my husband was round, he had strength enough to stir that much dough. I have gone to a KitchenAid mixer Mm-hmm. which helps me in my age. <laughs> mm-hmm. You anticipated my question. You knew just what I was going to ask. <laughs> I couldn't stir it, but I kind of just dumped the big mess out, but I hadn't added all of them. Um... One of my guests once taught me that you always start with 50% of the liquid that a bread recipe calls for, because if you're having a humid day, you you might actually not ever add any more than that. And um, it's better to do that than to keep adding flour. So I just, I, I always go with that now. And I just dumped the mess out and kept kneading. And when I couldn't pick up any more flour, I would just pour a little bit of (laughs) liquid kind of into the mess and just kept kneading and kneading and kneading until it all came together because I could knead, but I didn't have the strength to stir it either. Um, But you anticipated my question, which was exactly that. Can you just use a KitchenAid and do you use a dough hook or do you use a paddle? Uh, The dough hook is better. Okay. And when you use a dough hook, do you still knead? Yeah. Oh, you gotta. Get, yeah. You have, to, you have to get in there and get the one for. Really work it through. Really work it all through. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, how about the butter? You add it room temperature, or you melt it for the for the bread. dough. Yeah. Yeah. We we melted it. You melted it. Okay. I just added it in room temperature and figured it would kind of work its way around. Okay. That's good to know. I'll add that to the recipe. Okay. I think that's got the dough. I mean, who knows if it'll be successful or not, but uh, I think that has all my questions answered and now it's just up to me. We'll see. We'll see what I'm made of as a baker here. Um, Uh, You're very (laughs) well thought of. You've got this. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for the vote of confidence. That's encouraging. Um, how, okay, about the filling, I got really concerned. Like I said, I kind of stopped this morning. And um, uh, again, so for people listening, not looking at the recipe, the dough, uh, the filling is, if we thought the dough was rich, <laughs> the filling is even more so. It's two pounds of walnuts, a cup of honey, a cup of sugar, um, three cups of milk, uh, another stick of butter. And then this is the part that concerns me. It's three eggs. 
And after you grind the walnuts up, um, it says to different recipes, um, the older recipe said, just cook on low heat. The newer recipe said, um, put it in a crock pot. And I'm just really worried about putting those eggs in heat. I'm worried that they're going to either scramble or it will actually start to bake uh, we, over we the heat. Have, we have actually had them scramble. Uh-huh. But um, if you beat your eggs, the reason we went to a crock pot, my dear mother used to use a cast iron frying uh-huh. pan on top of the stove. Uh-huh. And you had to stir, 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 uh-huh. or it would stick and burn. So, of course, you have to have your crock pot heated up, ready to cook, I so see. that you don't risk let the eggs get started but yeah. you have you have no problem with the filling it's just low and slow okay yeah i think my crock pot i feel like runs hot actually my mom has a theory and i think she's right that crock pots used to cook lower at a lower temperature actually i think i've looked this up and verified it i'll i'll check and put in an edit if it's not true um i think that food safety um rules, maybe even the FDA got a hold of crockpot companies and said, you have to raise your temperature. Um, and yeah. crockpots, so for me, um, I'm probably just going to put it on warm instead of even low, because even low stuff starts to boil um, in my crockpot sometimes. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, and I have a really big one too, so it'll be spread thinly. Um, which, okay, so I'll just put my crock pot on warm and that's a good tip to turn the crock pot on before, um, before I put it in and then just let it go really, really, really low for an hour. And, um, what is this doing? Is this just making the flavors kind of meld together? Is it making it more paste? Is it easier to spread because of this? Well, it's, it's easier to spread the ingredients blend, but it also if you taste test like <laughs> it will taste done before ah. you spread. So you want time to cook the filling, but you want one want to cool it tad okay. before you spread. I see. Okay, because the dough is so thin. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. All right. So finally putting the filling onto the dough. Um, first of all, we're pulling this dough until it essentially covers the entire eight foot by maybe three foot table. So we're it's, really stretching it thin here. Go ahead. It's amazing. If it's good dough, it will actually go over the edges of the table. Amazing. I have a dear friend who I asked to bring a sheet and she says, <laughs> What's the sheet for? (laughs) We put the sheet out on the table. We floured it so Uh the dough would not stick. Uh And as we were rolling and stretching, Uh it will sometimes hang two to three inches over the edge of the table. And that's where the sheet comes in handy. She Uh looked at me and she said, I guess it's doing what it's supposed to. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. And you said if it's good dough, what do you think the difference is between when it can stretch so easily and when it can't? It won't won't stretch. It won't stretch. I mean, what makes it so stretchable? If it's it's not a humid day, if Mm. you didn't get good yeast, if you, uh, you know, if you... uh, had it chilled. Mm. Um, we actually, I don't have warming ovens. Mm. I will sit it on a counter in the bathroom, which mm. I can make the warmest room and yes. sometimes turn on a shower just oh. to give it the extra kick to rise. Wow. Okay. 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 So when I take it out, I really want it to sit and get good and warm. I'll put it in the sun and really let it sit for a couple of hours. Yeah. That was my other concern this morning when I said, you know what, I'm not going to risk this right now. Um, For one thing, like I mentioned in the email, something personal came up and I just needed to tend tend to um, 
reluctant to this person, but also uh, the dough just wasn't warming up as quickly as I expected it to. And I was like, I got to really make this dough stretch. I just don't think I can do that with it. This, I yeah. So, but I didn't realize that warm. So that's good to know. Okay, well, and, go ahead. In the, in the summertime, when my mother was asked to bake these, she would actually take it and sit it in a locked car with the oh, windows rolled up. Wow. That was her warming place. Wow. Okay. I'll park in the sun. <laughs> I, I might try it. <laughs> I'll come in and dough spilled all over my seats. <laughs> oh, that's quite a visual. That's very funny. Um, okay. And then with, before you put the filling on, you um, it's said to put a thin layer of Crisco down, um, but the filling is already so rich. It seems like you're just doing that more so it'll kind of smooth and not tear. What's, what's the point of the layer of Crisco? The warm, the warm Crisco helps it stretch. Okay. Okay. And All actually, right. when you put your hands up underneath the dough, uh-huh. if it's got the Crisco and you start working your fingers towards you, it will help it stretch. You can even get to the point where you can see through the dough. Wow. 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 Okay. I'm gearing up. <laughs> if I was in the neighborhood, I'd come help. Oh, that would be lovely. <laughs> that would be so nice. So, okay. Well, I think I'm armed and uh, with all the knowledge that I need, and now I just need to do it. So um, let's go back and keep talking about um, this this recipe, what it means to you, and then go on and talk about your own life a little bit more. So um, back to your family of origin. The first thing that struck me about what you said, and it it surprised me, this is quite ignorant of me, but I would have thought that Austrians and Germans um, spoke the same language. I know there's a lot of different dialects of German, but I would have thought the Northern Austrians and the Southern Germans, all kind of Bavarians would have spoken the same <laughs> or no? My, mo- uh, um, my mother was raised in Butte, so they really didn't uh, speak German where, in where that household. Oh, oh. Butte, Butte, Montana. I Butte, Montana. It. Yes. Oh, no, I meant the um, the grandmother who married into the family of Germans. She was Austrian and she married into the... Um, no, that was my mother. The was, grandmother was oh. Katie Rebisch. My mother was Kay Barth. I and see. Kay, Kay, at the age of 15, was the German girl. So I, I kid say I'm half Austrian, half German. I see. But she spoke English. She didn't speak German or Austrian. She spoke English. No, no. I see. And did she live with um, her husband's, your father's family, or they were just kind of all around? Actually, God love her. The first 30 days she spent in a sheep wagon with my dad and learned how to ride a horse. And she was a strong enough gal to stay with him. (laughs) <laughs> wow. I don't know that I would have. Wow. Yes. I'm glad she did. Yeah. I, I guess I guess you are. How did this marriage come about? Was it a love match? He no, it was not an arranged marriage. He actually would ride. I live in Dillon, Montana. Mm-hmm. He actually would ride the train from Dillon to Butte to mm. court her and oh. and get back on and catch the next train back. <laughs> wow. Wow. How how old um was he? She was 15. How old was he? There there wasn't that much age difference, maybe five, six years. Wow. Of course that's, you know, five years is a third of her life. It's 33% older. <laughs> it's quite a bit more at that age, you know, but, but I bet at the same time, they're both young and True. Kind of ready to take on the world. True. Wow. Wow. And how many children did they have? How many siblings do you have? They had four. Um, all of my brothers are gone. It is just me. I'm kind of the last of the Mohicans. Oh, well, I am sorry for all of your losses. 
Uh, it was good memories. Mm. Strong family. Mm, mm. Tell me about cooking growing up with three brothers. Was that something that you and your mom did together? Was that spread out across the family? And uh, who did the cooking in general? And who who did, who made this? Um, po- I'm still trying to say it properly. Sorry. Correct me again. Povatisha. Povatisa. Uh, my mother would uh, do the meals. Mm-hmm. I was raised where the uh, big meal was at lunch. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was kind of the dessert cook. I'd actually hadn't had the experience with meal preparation till I got up to go to college. Wow. So, and my brothers, they were uh, a lot older. So they were out working with the hay or the cattle or no. uh, jobs in town. <clears throat> wow. So how big was this farm that you grew up on? He originally, my father, Frank, originally purchased 120 acres after the war for $5,000. It is now 210 acres. Wow. And a lot more than (laughs) $5,000. True, true. I get um, an offer probably once a year that people think I should be willing to sell. Mm-hmm. And I talk to the boys because, you know, an old lady doesn't have all the sense she needs. Mm-hmm. And they go, you're happy. Where would you go? So, Wow. So you're still there. So this is your farm when you're when you and your husband married, you took over your childhood farm, your parents' farm. Right. Right. Okay. I inherited the ranch from family estates. Before they passed, we actually leased the ranch so we could run cattle. You could uh raise cattle. Right. Okay. And do you raise them for um, food or are they dairy? No, it's uh, uh, steers to sell for meat market. But um, I now lease to a man who has sheep and cattle. Um, I get to enjoy the livestock, but I don't have the responsibility of taking care. Mm. Well, tell me about that change because one of the things that your son Scott mentioned when he reached out to me about having you on the podcast, and I'm so glad he did, by the way, um, is that there was a lot of pressure, um, a lot of pressure on you, especially when your husband died and that you were out there doing physical labor um, to keep the ranch going. So tell me about that. What is that like in 2020, 2021, 2023 to own a a ranch like that um, in modern day America where it's not necessarily set up for that to be financially Uh, (laughs) viable? Well, it, um, we always said it was a hobby farm. It needed uh, additional income. When Dave and I were both working, we had wage income. Over the years, we invested it in rentals, and then we got into 50, 60 head of cattle. So when the cattle had a good year, they would take care of the rentals. If the cattle price was down, the wages would help. So it was being versatile that made it all work. Wow. Uh, Labor is a big issue with agriculture or rentals or any business. And so if I was feeding cattle, it was because I couldn't get the help. Wow. Wow. And when you say, what's the difference? So, sorry, what's the difference between leasing the farm and renting? To, oh, you mean you would invest in rentals like real estate off of the farm? Oh, and I see. Yes. Yeah, outside. Yeah. Okay. And you would lease the farm to other people who would come raise their livestock on there. I'm selling grass. So yeah. <laughs> I'm very happy when it rains or snows. <laughs> wow. 
Wow. And how about crops? Was that ever on either your childhood, um, the the farm as it was in your childhood, or the farm that you ran as, with your husband? Um, as a child, my dad um, actually would loose hay, mm-hmm. uh, stack uh, with beaver slides and horse-drawn team to muck the hay up to the stackyard. Um, over the years, we never really did farm. It was always hay, pasture, baled to um, keep the cows fed. I see. I see. I see. Okay. Um, now, it, you said it was a hobby farm for you and your husband, and I have a lot more to ask about that. But for your parents, was it a hobby farm or was that their full-time income well, sustenance? By I. By a hobby farm, I mean it wasn't big enough to produce an independent. A full, yeah, right. Yeah, a full time income. Had to have a job or rentals or something to supplement. I see, and that was the same for your parents as well. Yes. Yes. I see. I see. Okay, so, um, we all have hobbies. Um. Most of us don't choose hobbies that take the time of a full-time job and are physically demanding and don't ever have a break. Uh, I mean, chores, like chores happen every day. They happen on Christmas and New Year's and Thanksgiving when you have animals, just like when you have small children. So there must be quite a love in your family for farming. What What is it that... I like... Uh... I like the rural way of life. Mm-hmm. Um, all the years I worked in an office, sometimes John Q. Public is not <laughs> so kind. Mm-hmm. And when I would get home after five, I could stand in the yard and feel pressure release mm-hmm. because it's what I enjoy. So if you enjoy, it's not a job. Mm. Wow. Have you had nights where the animals are sick or calving or you've had to be up with them? Oh, oh. when uh, my husband was still alive, there were nights when it was 25 below and you would have to get out and go check to see if there were any new calves, get them drive off into a barn, sometimes medicate. Um, The biggest excitement were the first set of twins we Mm -hmm. had born on the ranch. My husband and I were sitting in the pickup. He'd get out and dry off one calf. She had the second one, and I'd get out and dry off that calf. Then she'd realize she had two. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh man! <laughs> but we were as excited as she was. We, mm-hmm. uh, David and I, had a lot of the same goals. Mm-hmm. Worked hard together, and then we played. We fish, hunt, camp. You know, followed the kids and their activities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I hear what you're saying about loving it. I'm still. I'm still I'm still trying to wrap my head around loving getting out at 25 below and checking on calves <laughs> and and going back to work the next day. That is that is I mean you when you say you love it and love is an action you you put in the time, didn't you? Yeah. Yes, yes we did. Wow. Wow. Just amazing. How long were you and your husband Dave married? 35 years. Um, He stayed as long as he could. He had terrible heart trouble Mm -hmm. and was, I was widowed at age 55. I always thought I would have him through the golden years, but you have to go on. Mm. So you've been a widow for quite decades at this point? Uh, I will be 74 in June, so wow, almost so 20 years. Almost 20 years. Wow. And when he when he, when he he died, did you think then about selling? 
No. <laughs> wow. Just amazing. No. No. Just amazing. What would you say um were was was the secret to your happy marriage? What advice would you give <laughs> to anybody well, there listening? Were, there were fights. It of was course. not it was not all uh I think each has to stand up for their rights. Mm. But uh we were really good partners. Mm. Um and we would play Good cop, bad cop, depending on the situation <laughs> we were in. With the kids? <laughs> well, no, uh, business. One night oh. I was in town showing rentals, uh-huh. and I refused to rent a house that was too small to a mm-hmm. woman who had too much family. So mm-hmm. she left me and called Dave. And he said, if Marlene said no, the answer is no. <laughs> oh, Wonderful. That is a good man who just trusts yep. his wife. Yes. Yep. And stands up for her. Wow. And you were partners on the farm as well. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Tell me about um, the kids you shared. Um, raising the kids, they had to work um, mostly for us. Mm-hmm. Um, had chores, um, paid or unpaid? Paid. They paid. would. Yes, I recall one day Scott was about seven, and we were painting mm-hmm. a bathroom in a rental, and he painted the gooseneck under the sink, and I <laughs> said, "You know, you're not supposed to do that." <laughs> so I said, "You just put your paintbrush up and go sit in the truck." Well, he was upset because he knew he wouldn't be paid oh. years, years <laughs> later. He was home from college, and we were painting the same bathroom. And he looked at me, and he said, I hope I learned my lesson. <laughs> I, um, they would mow yards in town to make money to buy school clothes. I would go uh, move the truck before they could drive. And then they would run around with their mowers and weed eaters. They forgot a weed eater one day on a lady's yard. He called me and I made them buy the weed eater back. I said, if you will give me $15, you can have your weed eater back because I'm saving you money. You'd have to go back. (laughs) That's right. We've got some good parenting tips going on here. (laughs) (laughs) Because responsibility, it it doesn't just happen magically. It does have to be taught. Yeah, I probably traumatized both of them. (laughs) Well, I don't know. Scott sounds awfully proud of you. I don't think he's traumatized. It's actually been quite heartwarming. I only have sons. I have four sons. And it's been very heartwarming to communicate with Scott and just uh, the pride that he has in you really oozes out of every communication. It's just it's just lovely. So I think I think he's a far cry from traumatized. (laughs) Mm. Um, I enjoy them both. And um, as they age, I enjoy them more. Mm-hmm. Um, a year ago, they came and spent a week and would go hunting. And I was camp cook. I would stay home and do the meals. Aww. But we watched basketball games. We watched movies. They said, if I didn't like the movie, I could go to my room. <laughs> <laughs> We cooked together. We just had a wonderful week. Mm. And this last summer, I entered the two of them in a cooking contest in downtown Dillon. They brought their Traegers and spent 24 hours preparing four different dishes for entry into a contest. So cooking is a big part Um, I was telling Scott 
the best pictures of me involve food. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny. There's one, um, I don't know if you know, I, 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 I don't know if you put it on or if Scott put it on, but there's a picture of you. Um, we don't have the video going on Zoom, but there's a picture of you up as if, like, that's what I would see if the video was up. And um, do you see it? It's you. You're wearing kind of a red shirt and a black hat. Yes. And you have the most delicious. My, we always laugh. My grandmother used to word, use the word luscious. And we always laugh about it. But it fits. This is the most luscious looking plate of strawberry shortcake I've ever yes. seen in my life. There's this yes. big yes. strawberry shortcake. And then there's ice cream. And there's whipped cream. And there's strawberries. And there's strawberry syrup. And I really just want to dig in. <laughs> true true so. Uh, so i believe it i believe it um did you teach did you do most of the cooking when the kids were younger did you teach them to cook did you give them that love no uh dave is a very good cook he oh. could actually cook in a restaurant and wow. often talked about doing a restaurant so the boys um come natural. Mm. I was always the assistant <laughs> you know, dishes, counter tables. Wow. Well, I have to tell you, that's, I mean, cooking is a joy. I cooked at a, um, I've done this a couple of times. I cook at a, a camp for um, fourth, fifth, and sixth graders at our church. Oh. And I cook for the camp. And um, when I tell people that they're like, oh, God bless you. What a job. And I always say, are you kidding? I don't have to do dishes all week because teens come and help <laughs> and do the dishes. And I'm like, cook all day and don't do any dishes. That is a vacation. That is my idea of fun. <laughs> so you had the hard actually, job there. I actually, when I volunteer, it involves a kitchen too. Mm. So that's where I'm happiest. I see. I see. Um, I want to go back a little bit to this idea of the ranch and that it's, you know, 120 acres growing to 210 acres and it was never, you know, fully self-sustainable. And I guess I just wonder, I mean, people talk about a certain way of life in America, um, you know, passing us by. It's it's not a, I, I always lived outside Washington, D.C. I've never known that a way of life that's that's very foreign to me but it does seem like something um is lost will be lost i'm just thinking of just the hard work that you and and your husband and your kids put in and um the way that you treasured those animals and took care of them and it does seem like something is lost if these farms just can't be it's self-sustaining yeah so what what's going on what's happening why is this what's happening well over the last few years you know it's raised in fuel and fertilizer and seed and you know um taxes they've mm -hmm. in the state of montana they've done an increase on the taxation because of the high rollers that are moving in and dividing up parcels. Mm -hmm. And uh, we sit right under a federal airport. And when they got the funds to increase the size of that airport, mm -hmm. they did a big thick manual, which said, you know, within a radius of nine miles, you can't subdivide because they're concerned about air traffic. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of been a fail safe for mm -hmm. us. We hope that we can hang on to the land. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess if the land keeps being broken up, I mean, who's growing the food? Yes. Yes. I, I, it's an honest question. Who is? <laughs> I, I yeah. really don't understand. Like if we have a bigger population, how can we give up farmland? What's happening? True. True. I agree. I yeah, I I'm I really wasn't making a statement. I'm honestly asking a question. I just don't understand the basic, I mean, supply and demand. It seems like we need we need more food, not less. So somebody's gotta be growing it. When they break up these farms, what are they dividing them into um 
Is, um, are they becoming residential areas or? Yes, subdivisions, home tracks, uh, some uh, commercial um, sites for businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, there's actually only three farms between myself and the city limits of Dillon, mm-hmm. which is unheard of because a lot of it has been subdivided and sold. Mm-hmm. Wow. What do you, you said you agree that it's sad. What do you feel like we lose when we lose these big farms or don't allow them to be self-sustainable? <laughs> Some of it's the way of life. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Some of it's the food. Mm-hmm. I'd rather, well, I just bought a half a beef from a young gal who is future farmer, America, mm-hmm. a kid in high school. And I know that's good meat. Mm-hmm. And that, uh, to me, is important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess that's the answer about what's happening with the food. For the meat, at least, they're just being crowded into smaller and smaller areas. Yes. Hmm. Hmm. Well, that's sad. That is sad. It's not necessarily why we got on to talk, so I won't pull you down any further. We'll come. <laughs> <laughs> we'll come. We'll come out of it. And I have. I have the perfect way, I guess, to come out of this. But. Wow, something to think about and maybe for me to, you know, explore in other podcasts. But um when I in in my nomination form on my website, when somebody nominates a guest, um, I one of the things I ask is what do you want to know about this person? What would you most like to know about them that you don't already know? And so Scott, your son, filled this out. And so you would think he 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 would have all the questions about you answered at this point. But no, he said what he would most like to know is how you keep your drive and positive outlook. And I'm curious about the same thing. Um, I mean, again, the energy that it took to work full time, raise um, two sons. Uh, this this farm is more than a full time job. I just, how did you keep that drive? And now to this age, how do you keep your positive outlook? Um, my Catholic faith. Mm. is a rope I really hang on to. Sometimes um, life gives you challenges that the only thing you can do is pray. Mm. Um, I I think there's an advantage to a small rural community because as I age, I think family and friends are my blessings that Keep me going. Mm-hmm. Um, positive outlook, I think, is trying to help, trying to share. Uh, I meditate a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You talk about, I'd like to dig into each of those a little bit more. Um, you said that all you can hang on to is prayer sometimes. Um, do you feel that it's the the act of praying itself that gives you strength or the ways that you see answers to your prayer or both? Um, I had a very close friend who's been battling several forms of cancer mm-hmm. over the last year. Mm-hmm. And I have prayed daily. And the way I supported her was St. Patrick's Day. I sent her Irish socks to keep her feet warm. <laughs> In the middle of the summer, I sent her a hummingbird feeder to brighten her day. And when I prayed for her, I would say, you know, please give Mary Beth hope today. Mm-hmm. Uh, last week, mm-hmm. she called to say she's in remission. And she felt that the prayers and the support is what helped. Amen. I'm happy to hear that. And I believe that as well. How about your um, community of friends? Scott says that you are the um, party, <laughs> party planner. 
<laughs> for your group of Rebel Rouser. <laughs> well, uh, we do go. We do meet once a week, every Friday night at one of the dinner clubs to have one drink and dinner and vent. We help each other, you know, with husbands, with kids, with illness, mm. with trips. And um, I never grew up with sisters, mm. but I considered these friends sisters. Wow. And so any time that I can come up with what I call a field trip, <laughs> off we go for the day. Um, oh. we, the last one was this summer. We went up to the Irish Festival in Butte, and it's a lot of ethnic food, music, uh, vendors. Just yeah. a good time. Just mm. a good, good time. I think we all need smiles. Mm. Mm. I depend a lot on upbeat music. Mm. <laughs> what kind of music do you listen to? Mostly country. Okay. Western. I uh, was fortunate enough to go see Garth Brooks in Vegas. This last summer, that was my birthday trip. Oh, how fun! <laughs> Did he sing "Friends in Low Places"? Yeah, <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's quite the storyteller. And really, entertainer. he was talking about doing habitat houses uh -huh. in uh -huh. uh, Africa, mm. and the young man was so proud of the home. And Garth said. Well, you don't know who I am. And he answered friends in high places. It's a great moment. Um, and it sounds like so much of your friendship with these with these women who have become your sisters is about service. That, like you said, you help each other out with husbands, children, things like that. You're just um maybe maybe when you're really young, you can have friendship that doesn't involve helping. But even for me at my age, I'm 44. I find a friend who's not there, you know, uh, or a friendship where I can't go help someone move or make a meal for them or something like that. What's a friendship without helping, right? True. Or uh, one that just shows up. Mm -hmm. I've done, I've done that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you said when you do service now, a lot of times it involves the kitchen. Tell me about that. I uh, have actually uh, volunteered to work the kitchen and can't make a dream near Missoula where oh. they do the week camps for the kids surviving cancer. And oh. we were preparing 75 meals three times a day. And I worked in a kitchen with a chef. Wow. Really great guy. Really great guy. I was happy to peel potatoes for him. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And, and then I will work like um, curseos or Bible camps. Mm -hmm. And I always volunteer for kitchen help. Wow. Well, wouldn't it? I would love to be in a kitchen with you. <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> we would have fun. We would have a lot of fun. Yes, I can tell wherever you are, there is fun to be had for sure. For sure. Um, so my last question, it goes back to this question about positive outlook and drive. And um, because Scott asked the question, I'd like to know, do you think you pass those traits on um, to him and to his brother? I do. I I think they've got great qualifications. Mm. I think there are they are both successful with family and business. Mm -hmm. When you think about Scott in particular, since he nominated you, what would you say makes you the proudest of him? <laughs> uh -huh. Now we're just emotional. <laughs> mm. <laughs> when um, he was expected, they had a song out watching Scotty grow. Mm. And it's been a joy. 
Mm-hmm. He's a, a sounding board since I'm a widow. Uh, he's a good companion. We enjoy the same things. We check in on each other. Just, just a joy to be around the two boys. Mm. What a blessing. What a blessing. Oh, Marlene, my cheeks are starting to ache from the smile (laughs) that I've had (laughs) throughout this conversation, throughout this conversation. Um, Is there anything you want to say before I let you go? No, just thank you for letting us share this. And we appreciate you asking. I, yes, I'm very excited to try it. I don't know what'll happen, but I'll keep you. (laughs) Don't don't (laughs) throw the recipe away and don't hang up your apron. (laughs) I won't, I won't, I won't. I'm almost tempted, honestly, to do a dry run um, without the filling. Well, I guess that's the thing is if it just doesn't, if it just doesn't stretch, then I can always use the roll. That's, you know what? Yeah, Becky, stop feeling so much pressure. If it just isn't stretching, then I will use the dough to make cinnamon rolls. And then I there will save go. the filling and I will start over again with something there nice and warm, not chill it. And then um, I'll save the filling for when I know it's going to work. So there we go. No more pressure. There you go. You've got it. You've got this. <laughs> oh, thank, thank you, you. Thank you. Thank you, Marlene. It has been a total joy to talk to you. Thank you so much. Okay. Good night. Good night. Thanks. We'll talk soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Listeners, thank you again for listening to the end. As always, I ask you, I beg you, I plead with you to leave us five-star review um, of the podcast in your favorite player. Also to subscribe to the Storied Recipe newsletter so that every Friday you will receive um, a version of the newspaper, a volume of the news uh, newsletter, where you will um, hear about the latest episodes, the featured episodes, the featured recipes, and also weigh in on future episodes of the Storied Recipe podcast, who and what you would like to hear about. I think that's it. And I hope you have a great week, my friends. <laughs>